And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Businesses do transactions, they buy things, they sell things, they do a whole lot of stuff. And after that occurs, someone has to count up the beans. And with that, we find accountants and bookkeepers and people that will help us keep this stuff straight. Now, if you are a constant listener of the podcast, you know that most of us don't love accounting. That doesn't mean it's not important. What we're going to get into today is accounting tips for startups before we dive too far into that, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Off-Kilta Matilda. Say that three times in a row. Making it easy for parents and teachers to not only engage in STEM, but help kids relearn to love learning. Be sure to check out all of the free resources they have available on their website. That's Off-Kilta Matilda. Just go to the link in the show notes. I will tell you that my kids have personally enjoyed playing with all the cool stuff that comes with it. So I mentioned we're going to talk about accounting, not my favorite subject and not my area of expertise. So I had to bring someone in to clarify so many things. So with me today, I've got another Matt. I've got Matt Ramuzzi, and he is the founder and CEO of Capforge Bookkeeping, out hailing out of Carlsbad, California, and from capforge.com, C-A-P-F-O-R-G-E.com. Matt, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate you joining us. Now, no one tells their story better than CEOs and founders. So give us a little bit of your backstory before we jump into accounting for startups. Sure. So I had always wanted to have my own business, uh, but I just never knew what to do. So I struggled and flopped around for a while and did different things. And then finally, I went and, and got into the uh, San Diego State Entrepreneurship Program to get my MBA in entrepreneurship, which was cool. Learned a lot of stuff, met a lot of good people, still didn't know what I wanted to do. Ended up working for a, a consulting firm. And this was right at the end of the dot-com boom in 2000. And so uh, right after getting hired, <clears throat> months later, I got laid off. But I saw there was still a need for the consulting this company was doing. They just people couldn't pay their 200, 300 bucks an hour rate. So I said, well, I could do this kind of on my own until I get a real job. Well, 20 years later, still haven't gotten a real job. <laughs> but I really enjoyed my entrepreneurial journey here. Along the way, I worked as a consultant. I own a restaurant. I own some online businesses. Uh, and then I did some business brokering. And the thing that I, caught my attention with business brokering is what it is. You go out and talk to small business owners who are thinking about selling their business. You help them put a value on it and find a buyer and transition. Well, the first thing that happens is you ask to see their financials. You ask to see their books so you can figure out what their business is worth. And time after time, 
the answer was, well, I don't really have my books or, or they're, they're a little bit out of date or, or they're kind of messy or I think they might all be completely wrong or, you know, some variation of that. Very rarely did someone say, oh, yeah, they're in perfect shape. They're up to date. And here you go. So I realized there was a huge demand for this side of things. And yet the people who were doing it, the customer service was terrible. They wanted to bill by the hour instead of being able to tell you what it would cost. Um, and it, it was just a messy process. So I thought, eh, there's a, here's an opportunity where I could get in and improve things here, offer a better service at a fixed price and see how that goes. So I started out of a spare bedroom by myself to see how I could, you know, see how it would turn out. And now we're, you know, 900 clients. We've got clients in all 50 states. We've got international clients. Uh, so we really boomed. And it turns out people do like good customer service. They do like accountants who speak plain English. They do like fixed flat rates. And, you know, who knew this was like an innovation in the industry, but people are, are really excited about it. And so it's helped me be able to grow the business. At the end of the day, yes, I know all the accounting stuff, but I still think of myself as an entrepreneur and I run the business like an entrepreneur, not like an accountant. Well, I think that's important. And, you know, we're going to talk about accounting tips for startups. And, you know, you mentioned starting your business out of an extra bedroom in your home. Same here, man. 12 years ago, actually, was it 12 years ago? I don't know. It feels like forever ago, maybe 13 years ago at this point. But started a business in the extra bedroom at home. I had no money. I had no experience. I'd actually gone back to school as an adult. Like, you know, I quit a great job to try to figure out what I really wanted to do when I grew up. And I started something and it got big quick. And I also very quickly realized that I created a ball of rubber bands with my own accounting stuff. And I actually wrote about this in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. And I called it a ball of rubber bands because at one point we had to literally stop everything we did at the business to undo the ball of rubber bands, which was incredibly painful, but there was no way we were going to catch up without stopping motion for a little bit. And I learned a whole lot about that. I think when it comes to accounting tips for startups, though, I'm going to actually go ahead and recommend that if finding an accountant that's an entrepreneur, because I would imagine that you have a lot of insight about what it's like. And, you know, like entrepreneurs and founders live a different life, especially when it comes to accounting, you have, you're spending plates and doing a balancing act. When it comes to being an entrepreneur, accountant and bookkeeper and having, and congrats on the growth of your company, that's a lot of clients. Like why, why is having an entrepreneur-ish accountant a, a key ingredient? Well, I think the conversations I have with potential clients center a lot around what um, you know we can do to help their business. And it's not just, uh, can we get a tax return done for them? And can we tell them, here's what happened last year. Most of the time they know what happened last year, at least they have a gut feel for what that was like. Um, what I can help them with is where do you wanna go? You know, and, and how can we help you get there? How can we help you understand how the business is working, what the inputs are, the income sources you've got, what the expenses are and how you can juggle those and forecast and, and make better decisions looking at the numbers, not from last year, but current numbers. And so that's sort of the main difference. You know, a lot of the CPAs out there, not to disparage anyone, but you know, they're focused on the tax side of things and they're trying to help you cut down on taxes, but they don't really understand how your business works. They can't really help you make any current decisions or growth decisions, they're all sort of looking retroactively. So 
for me, whenever I'm talking to a client, I always try and put myself in their shoes. If I was running that business, what would I do? How would I change things? How would I improve things? And we'll just have that kind of heart to heart conversation. And they really appreciate that, that it's not somebody who's just spouting tax law at them or, you know, uh, <clears throat> reprimanding them for what they have or haven't done. It's like, okay, here's where you're at. Let's figure out how we can improve things and help you get better as you go forward. Uh, so that's kind of the approach I take. And a lot of times we don't even talk about accounting until 45 minutes, an hour into the conversation and we get around to it. And then they go, oh, yeah, of course, I want you to do the books because I already like you and I already get it. And we don't even get around to talking to you know about accounting. So I just take a whole different approach to it. And our firm does than sort of the typical uh, accountant or CPA who just wants to kind of, you know, very much stay in their lane and just focus on that very specific angle of, you know, tax law or, you know, talk about debits and credits and stuff. The average business owner has no interest in diving into. And you don't really have to worry too much about that when you're a startup and you're not making shit. Like, what are you paying? You got to make money to pay tax on earnings. And now with that, though, one of the things that you mentioned is a really common problem is a lot of businesses, they get moving and they want to try to find investors and different people to help support their mission. And when the books are dog shit, you're not getting an investment. You're going to end up cleaning that up. Now, look, I've been on this side of it. It's a shitty feeling. I'm just telling you, like, you're better off to get it started the right way in the beginning, because anything from a loan to, well, there's even vendors that are going to want to see financial statements, like a whole lot of stuff. And you just don't really look like you have your shit together when you don't. So let's, let's, how about, how about a, a few words from you on what some of the common mistakes that a lot of startups and day one businesses make when it comes to their books, other than just not keeping track of them at all, <laughs> which is, right. is number one. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like one. when we, it's kind of like when we did our episode about why startups fail and obviously they run out of money mm -hmm. as, a, as a default answer. Go ahead on that. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things we see all the time is people commingling their business and personal accounts, right? That, and I get it, right? You're just starting. You don't even know if this thing is going to work. So maybe you don't want to go to the trouble of getting a bunch of different accounts, but the longer you do that, the messier it becomes and the harder it is to untangle. So my first piece of advice is if you're at all serious about starting a business, even if you don't bother to set up an, an entity, an LLC or an S corp or something, file a fictitious business name. You can do it online. It's 50 bucks on average, it varies by state. And then take that down to your, whoever you bank with um, and open a second checking account and put 500 bucks in it or whatever, and use that when you start the business. And if you're gonna use a credit card, if you've got more than one, set one aside and say, look, this is gonna be for business expenses. I'm only gonna use it for business expenses. And then the other one that's personal, you can buy groceries with that and pay whatever, you know, go out to dinner, whatever non-business things you're going to do with it. And just by doing that simple separation, it makes things so much easier. Because even if you come to me then six months or a year down the road and go, well, I haven't really done any books, but I've got all my business activity in this one checking account and this one credit card, that makes it so much easier. Because believe me, I don't want to have to go through your personal credit card and your personal bank account and try and figure out 
what goes with what was this best buy purchase was that something for the house or something for the business or whatever so just doing that simple thing not commingling your business and your personal really makes a huge difference it's a simple step it costs virtually nothing to do but it saves so much headache uh, even if you don't get around to doing books for a year just doing that makes the process so much easier to get us caught up again yeah, and I think that's great advice. And, you know, when uh, so I always joke because I dropped out of five colleges. And now the last one was a top 10 business school. So at least get, I'll take a little credit uh, for that. But, uh, you know, as I was in finance and accounting classes, which, by the way, like when I, I say like it's not my favorite, I'm just not like that. I don't have the patience, you know, and that's where that comes from. So find people that are going to do the things that you aren't good at. But commingling is pretty much the worst thing you can do in your business when it comes to accounting, because it just doesn't separate you from the business. And when it comes to your, you setting up a business at some point, and I can't advise you on which one's the right choice, but you are either a sole proprietor, an LLC, an S Corp, a C Corp, there's a whole lot of different things but you do need to separate yourself from the business. And if you continue to co-mingle, you have a tough time substantiating that on some levels. And also it just doesn't show general, well, accountability, you know, meaning like you need to be able to, and, and just the more you muddy it. Now, I think one of the things I've learned at multiple businesses and, and years later is whether you pay for the accounting now, you're still going to pay for it later. Yeah. So you might as well just do it in the beginning and get it right. Cause it's actually more expensive later to go back and try to get it all figured out. Not only that, it's like remarkably time consuming in some regards when you are like, okay, here's, 15 months worth of statements, I need you to go through and label what these purchases were for, or categorize them in some regards. And like, I mean, why wait? Absolutely. I mean, it definitely is more painful. The only thing more painful than not doing it for a year and a half is trying to do it yourself and completely screwing it up because now you've spent the time to do it wrong and we still have to redo it. We still have to charge you to do it over again. So don't, you know, a lot of people imagine, oh, it's not that hard. I can go, I'll just catch it up myself or I'll work on this myself. And then they just make a complete hash out of it. And, you know, if you're not going to really invest the time to learn how to do it properly, then just hire somebody like me or, you know, a, a professional to do it. Because believe me, the mistakes you're making are costing way more than the money you're saving and that's time you're not spending doing the important stuff that only you can do, like growing your sales, right? I can't come to your office and grow your sales. You can spend your time doing that and then hire me with some of that money you made from growing your sales to get the books cleaned up. And it's not that expensive. When you're small and you're starting out, it's not very expensive. But trying to do it yourself, learning yourself, it's super stressful. You're going to get it wrong anyway, more than likely. Or, you know, a lot of people too go, oh, my my cousin Joe took an accounting class, so I think he can do it. Or, you know, oh, I found this guy on Fiverr. He'll do it for, you know, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> you, you, you should expect you should expect to get what you pay for in that uh, regard. And then, and then here's another thing too, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, is if your business does gain traction and you get, and you get uh, to a certain point of revenue, I can't remember, I don't know what that is, you actually have you have to uh embrace you're forced to embrace certain types of accounting that are not necessarily cash isn't it accrual 
at like I remember it was 1.9 million. I'm sure that threshold's gone up. And then so and th this is where that advice comes in because it changes your books. It changes the way you right. do things and a lot of that. And um, you know, I I spend so much time talking to startup founders and entrepreneurs, and they're so worried about about preventing the sky from falling or or what they're going to do if it does. What happens if things go really well? And that's <laughs> a whole nother thing. Cause like you mentioned, like that's, that's where my heartbreak came from. Like you're cooking, you're moving, things are, are popping and now you got to stop everything you're doing. You don't get to enjoy that because you get to go back and clean up the breadcrumbs that you left along the way or whatever. And yeah, I learned a real hard lesson with that on the, uh, well, a couple things, tax advice at one point, and then just like I said, like creating, just creating that ball of rubber bands that had to stop and unwind. And that business was, was related to, it, we made a lot of transactions. So the reason we had to stop was because I, if I kept buying stuff and putting it on there and selling it too, it just kept, it just kept making the problem bigger and bigger and bigger. Now we did keep selling things, but we had to stop buying, but the whole business was based around buying and selling. So when we stopped doing one side of it, the other side eventually suffered, but yeah. So, okay. So as, as we mentioned, there's, there's, you know, we're trying to go with tips and things. Now, when it comes to your books and keeping your statements up to date and clean and ready, I, and once again, if you're a regular listener of the show, you know, anytime you get investment, they're going to want to see that. And it's not that they just want to see it. They also want to know that before they put a huge amount of money into your company, that you're equipped to deal with it. Like no one wants to put a million dollar investment into a commingled account or any of that. So when it comes to working on your books and getting them in a space where uh, investors will like that, is that just as simple as just keeping your shit clean and getting it right? Yeah, I mean, that, that really goes hand in hand. It's like, you know, you can imagine, right? Two people show up to get an investment or get a loan and one guy's got a nice suit on, it's tucked in, he's got his tie, his jacket, everything matches, right? And the other guy comes and got stains and half the shirt's untucked and the tie's on wrong and, you know, two different shoes. Like, which guy are you going to give a million bucks to? Well, when you show up with your financials in a total mess or you know, you don't have any, or they're three months behind, you're that guy with the untucked shirt and the messy, everything, you know, that's the impression you're making with your financials. So you want to have them up to date, current, accurate, correct. And beyond that, I mean, it's not just when you want to go ask for money uh, or, you know, to your point, sometimes even getting, you want to lease space. They want to see your financials. You want to work with a big vendor. They want to see your financials. Um, but just, it's a management tool, right? It's something to see, how are we doing? How much are we growing? Are we maintaining our profitability? Are our costs the same or rising or falling? Is our cost of goods sold going up or down? If you're not keeping an eye on those, all you've got is gut instinct, which a lot of entrepreneurs operate on, right? They look at the bank balance. If it's positive, good, things are good. If it's going down, oh, now I'm worried. But that's the only metric they have. It's really hard to judge accurately how things are going if you're not keeping an eye on the details. And you don't have to be an accountant. I spend time all the time showing entrepreneurs, look, here's what your income statement is, and here's what it's telling you, and here's how to read it, and here's your balance sheet, and here's what it is, here's what it's telling you. And you know, in a 20 minute lesson, 
now they've got a tool they can use for the rest of their business lives that's going to be super helpful. But if you don't take the 20 minutes to figure out what that is and what it's telling you what it means, you know, you're really kind of driving blind. And there's no reason to be doing that other than, you know, you're just choosing not to be a full participant in your own business. Yeah, and I agree with that. Now, I want to talk about paying yourself and the importance of that, as well as paying your employees and keeping up with it. But before I do, did you know that when kids drop out of STEM-related activities, it's usually due to peer group influences and low self-esteem? That's why the great team over at Off Kilta Matilda created STEM Esteem. That's STEM plus self-esteem. It's a series of projects that will help your child love STEM and teach them that science, technology, and math can be fun. Go to Off Kilta Matilda or find the link in the show notes. Now, math and accounting are clearly related to each other, but that doesn't mean because you're good at math, you're good at accounting. I think we can agree on that. Now, one of the things that I tell that my personal advice, and, and this might go against maybe one of your service offerings here, but well, maybe it goes with it, is don't try to do your payroll yourself. Um, you want to use a service or an accountant or someone because I see the the intricacy of that and the levels and things that, that you need to adhere to can very easily, because you don't know what you're doing, can very easily create some very nasty consequences and bubbles. Like you had forgot to just withhold something and now all of a sudden, you know, you're responsible for that. And what, where are you, what, what's your, what comments and position do you have when it comes to, to tips for startups, when it comes to not only paying themselves, but also their employees? Right. I mean, paying employee, you know, you can, there's a few different ways you can pay yourself and it depends on what kind of business you're at. And, um, but when it comes to paying employees, that is really no joke. That, that has serious consequences if you screw it up. And it's easy to do. There's multiple deadlines. You've got to deal with the IRS plus whatever state you're in. And, um, you know, it, it's not super complicated, but it's just complicated enough that you don't want to mess with it and you don't want to miss a deadline and you don't want to screw up a withholding or whatever. So it is payroll is a, a service that we offer to our clients. But if you don't use us, great. There's lots of other options, but don't try to do it yourself or don't. You know, I, I talk to people all the time and go, oh, yeah, I've got employees. I pay them with Venmo or Zelle or, you know, PayPal. Like, no, those aren't employees. You're not withholding it. They're, you're treating them like contractors, but they may, in fact, legally be employees. And now you've got yourself in a lot of hot water. If somebody gets hurt, they're going to go to the hospital, the ER, and say, oh, don't worry, workers' comp will cover it. Well, guess what? You, you don't have workers' comp because you haven't been treating them as an employee. So that's just a huge can of worms you don't want to open, right? There's enough challenges and hurdles in, in running a business without adding stuff unnecessarily. So I 100% advocate if you're going to have people who are employees, get a payroll service to handle it. That That's just a non-negotiable no, tip. And those are, those are affordable services too. Oh, like, it doesn't kill you. And I mean, and by the way, most of the people I know that run accounting services or businesses like yours, they're, they actually many times will just, just use paychecks or ADP or something like that because it's A, it's not expensive and B, it well, it can be expensive if you try to do it yourself. In the case that you mentioned, like paying your employees through Venmo, like, you're responsible for their taxes up and you get audited or any of that comes down the pipe. You're the one that's responsible for it. Absolutely. And, 
I mean, at least on some level. And then the employee, if you're out of business, I believe the employee can be responsible. So if you're working at a startup and you're getting paid through Venmo, eh, eventually that's your income too, though. So, and those are the bubbles. That's, that's what I'm talking about is you think you're, you're killing it. And then all of a sudden you get a tax bill for like a stupid amount of money. In my case, I actually made too much money one year and got, here we go to file our taxes. And it's like, oh, you owe $80,000. And you're like, what the what? You know, and that's those things with proper financial planning and, and tax strategy don't have to be as painful. Yeah, they weren't after that. They weren't after that year because they definitely <laughs> learned a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. There's no need to have surprises in this stuff. It's all laid out. The rules are all there. The, the way it works is not a secret. So there's no reason to let yourself get caught off guard by that kind of stuff because it's very easily foreseen and planned for and strategized. So if you, you know, wake up one morning and find yourself with a huge tax bill, you know, a lot of that's on you. So when's the right time to get help when it comes to bookkeeping and accounting? Because I mean, I know we're saying like, do it early and get ahead of it. But, you know, some businesses are still pretty formative. They're that primordial ooze. Essentially, they haven't really evolved into anything like, I mean, other than like separating some finances and stuff like that. Like, when is it just absolutely something like, I mean, how do you know if you're worrying too much or not enough? So I have a couple of general rules. One is if you're self-funded, then, you know, if you're throwing expenses into it and you haven't seen any revenue yet, you can probably wait. Once you start making sales, that's a good time to say, okay, now let me get caught up on everything I've put into this thing and start tracking the income. Because chances are at that point, you know, you've got a potentially viable business. If, on the other hand, if you're taking someone else's money, either casually friends and family or an investor, you know, somebody who's going to want to know, hey, I gave you even 50,000, 100,000, whatever it is, I gave you that much money. I want to know where it went. That, at that point, when you take someone else's money, that same day is when you should really consider getting your accounting set up because that person will come back. And chances are, if they've got enough money to drop into a startup, they've also got enough money for a lawyer to come after you if you screw around with it. So if it's someone else's money right away, if it's just your own money, then once you start making some sales, that's a great time to think, okay, now I got to get my accounting squared away. Known as fiduciary responsibility, I believe. Am I right on that? That's what it is. Just meaning like you have a financial responsibility to your investors and others. Like, and here's the thing is if you do find investors and you need more later, your existing investors are usually the first to line up to maybe re-up. Now, if you botch that relationship and you just don't really show them a whole lot along the way, they're not going to want to write checks. Now, most seasoned VCs, firms, all of it will tell, or at least they tell me, that when they make X investment into a company, their expectation is to, at a minimum, put at least 50% of that amount in later, if not match it again later. Like they're almost planning on that. But if your books are a total train wreck, that ain't happening. Now, when it comes to startups, they have a hard time often, especially tech startups, doing business with traditional banks. Why? Because Tech startups usually don't make money from the jump, you know, they, and so 
you know, with that, the, the one thing that won't help is not being able to present your financials and doing a lot of stuff. But as the world uh, uh, evolves and the world of fintech and banking evolves, I'm seeing more and more stuff like, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, for example. I'm not saying they they do debt stuff for everyone, but they'll look at your business different than a traditional bank. Um, when it comes to to preparing your business for what is often known as becoming bankable, um, you know, where does where where are some tips there? Well, I mean, most people will be able to work with any bank, but to your point, you really want to be careful with that, right? Don't if you use a credit union, for example, that's kind of the worst place to go. They're great for personal banking, but they're terrible for business banking. Um, and then the next kind of step up is, you know, rather than go to just a local bank bank where they may only have three branches in the whole system, you're better off at a bigger bank. They've got more resources. They've got more divisions. They have more flexibility in looking at different deals. But then even better than that is one like Silicon Valley Bank, uh, especially if you're a tech in the tech space that is familiar with what that's going to uh, look like and what your particular needs may be versus a more Main Street kind of business. Um, and, you know, having being well capitalized to begin with is going to help you secure debt. So if you've got investor money, a lot of times you can further leverage that by borrowing from a tech forward bank like Silicon Valley Bank. If you've got nothing to show, only your own personal investment and the business plan on a napkin, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting money from anybody. Uh, but keep banking relationships in mind. And really, even in this day, you know, social media and everything's online and Zoom meetings, relationships still matter. So knowing who the guy is at the bank that you talk to and building a relationship, that still counts for something. And they're more likely to give money to somebody they've met and talked to and have a relationship with than somebody whose name just comes in on an application. They have no idea who they are. And that's back to that, the the person that's presented well, as opposed to someone who isn't. And, you know, there's a million banks out there legitimately. There's, I mean, they're everywhere and they want your business. And if you kind of, if you can, if you give them what they need and you make it easy and it's like a deal with a bow on it, then you're going to have more options. And now if you're, if you're not a tech company and you're a startup that makes a product or does any kind, I don't know, anything this is of utmost importance because if you ever get a big order or something, you need to finance some of that, whether it's at a traditional bank or somewhere else, like you got to back some of that up. And that's a really common thing. And you talk about things like invoice factoring and, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff. All roads do lead back to not having books that look like a cluster. So, all right. So the world of, of finance, fintech and everything is ever evolving. Um, you know, what are what are a few things? And by the way, for those of you listening, Matt's written a few books on the subject, everything from related to QuickBooks and, you know, bookkeeping and all that. And you can find a, we'll put those links in the show notes, too. So you can you can check them out. But how, how do you see the world of of accounting and bookkeeping evolving and what are tips for utilizing the efficiency, affordability or technology that's out there? Yeah, I mean, it definitely it's one of the industries where software and AI is making a dent. And, you know, if you still find yourself or the service provider you go to 
doing a lot of stuff manually, asking you to send in paper documents or doing data entry, you're probably at the wrong place, right? Our firm, we have a strict rule. We try to do zero data entry because to me, there's just no value add in punching a keyboard, right? I want to hire smart people who use their brains to do the stuff the computer still can't do, but, do, but doing manual data entry and things like that uh, is really not what you should be paying for, right? So you can keep the cost of these services down by using more tech forward firms that are taking advantage of software to do those mundane manual tasks and then get more value from the consultation piece that you know you can't get from anybody else. So, you know, that's something we see more and more of the old school CPAs who still do a lot of stuff with paper, you know, they're kind of retiring. They're they're leaving the field because they're finding they're just not competitive anymore. They want to do, you know, they're still using desktop QuickBooks versus the online version and they're still you know, they've got Mabel over in the corner. She's 100 years old and she's still putting everything in, you know, by hand with pen and paper. And she's still got a typewriter for crying out loud that file 1099s. You know, so when you when you think about who you're going to go to for these kinds of services, you know, look around or figuratively look around, look at the website and see who you're working with, because there really is a lot of innovation in this space that's making the boring, mundane, error prone, you know, uh, time-sucking activities and taking those off the table. So use a firm, work with somebody who's taking advantage of that and not passing the cost of manual labor on to you. I remember specifically recording a show with a somewhat similar subject and uh, had, and my guest, she said, if your accounting firm doesn't embrace technology, find a new accounting firm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> probably fair because like all the stuff you mentioned, like people don't want to do that stuff anyway. No one's like, yeah, I want to enter all of these transactions. You don't want to key them manually, which is very 1960 of them, um, you know, and then, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, one thing with accounting is it has been around since the history of business began and therefore there's a lot of people in the space and there's a lot of people finding solutions and there's a lot of neat and interesting stuff um and you know like i said your account your accountant and your bookkeeper don't want to sit around and do that crap either so and that's where cap forge go to capforge.com and and see where they help now when it comes to your clients like what kind of what's your typical client look like i'm just curious so we've kind of got uh two kinds. We've The majority of our business at this point, about 70% of our clients are actually online sellers, e-commerce guys who are selling on Amazon or through their own Shopify websites or on Walmart, Etsy, eBay, et cetera. That's been an exploding industry for us. Uh, they had a great year last year for the most part with COVID keeping everybody home and ordering everything online. And so our client base has really exploded and those guys are great to work with because they're tech savvy guys and girls, I should say. There's lots of uh, everybody in the business, but, you know, they're already tech savvy. They're already in front of the computer. They're already used to using software to do things. So they're a great fit for us. But the other 30 percent of our business are, you know, just your typical Main Street kind of people, uh, doctors and lawyers and auto mechanics and restaurants and people like that. Yoga studios will you know, work with anybody as long as they're willing to work with us, right? So if somebody who wants to bring in a giant box of receipts, sorry, <laughs> we're, we're not doing that. But as long as you're you know, able to use online banking and, and can work with us online, not only are we gonna save you money and do it faster, but it's gonna be more accurate and you're gonna get better customer service. 
And the other thing we do, which ties right in with the kind of doing things manually or not, right? We give everybody a fixed flat rate. So I say, okay, it's going to be 199 bucks a month. That's it. That's what it's going to be every month. There's no, you know, this month it's eight hours, next month it's 16 hours. What we see over and over again with the people who still bill hourly, one, they do it in a lot more complicated way than it needs to be done because they're billing by the hour. And two, they don't like software that does all the data entry because they're billing by the hour. So they don't mind punching it in manually and doing it the long way around because then they can bill you for 15 or 16 hours where we can do it in three or four. And at the end of the day, you get the same results, but you paid a lot more for no good reason. So that's why I'm happy to tell you, I can tell you exactly what it'll cost before you do any business with me. So there's no surprises. Uh, and if your accountant or CPA or whatever can't tell you that when you show up, they say, well, we bill 150 bucks an hour and who knows how long it'll be. I mean, walk away. There's <laughs> there's no reason to get up, set up in that model. It's just that's sort of the old school way of doing it. Yeah, and I think some other things that go with that is there are certain things that you need a CPA to do and some things a general bookkeeper can do and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of try to avoid paying one hundred and fifty dollars an hour when there's someone else that might be 30. And I think that's like a red flag at any firm. If, you know, like like you said, the hourly thing, like what what's the what's the motivation to be efficient? And, and any of that. And, you know, I mean, if you look at it, like it's just human nature, like if you're getting out, well, I'm not a, I, at full scale, my business, we, we give you a set price. Here's, this person's going to help you full time. And that's how much it's going to cost. It won't go up, but it could go down if they don't work the number of hours that we set. But that's because you want to and need to prevent hidden surprises in your own business, like a good accountant would tell you that too. Like you right. things that are highly variable, like they cause, well, all of a sudden you're expecting a $500 bill and it's 5,000. Like you can create a whole sea and world of problems. All right. So uh, how, how important is it for startup founders from an accounting perspective to quickly decide on what entity type they have? Well, you can always change it later, but it becomes kind of a headache. So I would say, you know, if you're starting something again, you're using your own money and you're not even sure it's going to fly. I always say just start as a sole proprietor, keep it simple. And then once you figure out, okay, this thing works, I'm going to push forward with it. It's going to be a viable business. Then you can jump into being an LLC or an S corp or occasionally a C corp. That's a rare choice for, you know, typical small business. If again, you're working with someone else's money, then right off the bat, you normally want to set up an entity that's going to protect them and their investment and protect you uh, as working with them and, and having their money and not be personally liable if you lose their investment and them not being concerned if you do something that screws things up and get involved in a lawsuit, they're not going to be attached with their personal assets dragged into your lawsuit around your startup. So if you're on your own and not sure how it's going to work out, start simple and test the concept and prove it out before you jump into registering an entity. If you're working with someone, uh, a partner, or you're working with an investor or someone else's money, then right off the bat, you want to be set up as an entity that's going to protect everybody involved. 
Yeah, I think overall in any business, you want to try to avoid doing things unnecessarily uh, multiple times, meaning just avoid general redundancy. Like sometimes if you and, you know, I, I, my first business was and it was incorporated and now all of the different things I have are LLCs. Now, that said, if they become venture back, they don't want you to be an LLC, but that's right. yeah, that's a bridge you can cross when you get there. Much like I mentioned in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, you want to the moment things get real, you need to avoid being a sole proprietor. Now, that, all that said, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a licensed dealer broker of this kind of advice. I'm just telling you from the, but I, you don't need to be to, to alert someone to the fact that a sole proprietor and not creating a real entity, if something happens, like the business gets sued, whether it be by an employee or a client or really anyone, there is no veil of protection that exists in that sole proprietor state, meaning they have, whoever is coming after you has a direct line of sight on everything you own personally now and later now and later so a lot of people kind of mess this up and they wait too long and then they realize oh wow i and look the reason that those things exist is over the history of time uh it just didn't make sense to like crush a family's dreams in their homes because they owned a business that didn't go well the business is a different entity in the case of a corporation they never die they're everlasting. And, you know, so wrap your arms around that. Now, as you think about that, I do want to give another thanks to Off Kilta Matilda. It's one of our former guests and our friends here in Kansas City. And look, you guys listening, you have kids that that are in STEM programs. This stuff is important. And today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Off Kilt and Matilda. They have really cool like toys and stuff like that. Sarah Shipley, who's their founder, brought a bunch to my kids and they have just fun workbooks and things like that. And I think that any, they have toys that go with it and things that make that stuff interesting for children. So check out the link in the show notes. Now, a couple of things as we head into the Founders Freestyle, which is how I end my episodes. And I say my episodes because I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. On Tuesdays, tune in to Andrew Morgans and listen to him talk about Amazon and e-commerce that you mentioned that being such a massive growth, you know, part of your client base. And then on Thursdays, join Innovate Her founder, Lauren Conaway, to talk about all different kinds of stuff. If you hadn't had enough startup hustle at that point, did you hear we started our own TV show? That's right. Don't do it yourself. It's a lot of work, people, but you can come watch ours. Go to YouTube, type in startup hustle or use the link in the show notes and see what we're up to, man. We're keeping it real there. If you like the podcast, you'll love Startup Hustle TV. Now, for the Founders Freestyle, I give my guests that are founders an opportunity to give whatever advice or closing remarks or arguments in some cases that they might have for all those listening. So, Matt, it's your you're up. What do you have to say on the way out? So I would say to the people listening, the entrepreneurs, you know, if you're still in the startup mode, you know, the, the thing I've learned over 20 years of being an entrepreneur is just stick with it. Persistence is the whole secret, right? You're not, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the richest. You don't have to be the luckiest. You just got to keep going with it. Uh, and that's a lesson that, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to forget and it's hard to follow through on. But man, persistence is the key that I see over and over again. The difference between success and not is just the guys that stuck with it and kept going and pushed through the hurdles. 
Uh, and along the way, if you're doing that, don't forget to make sure your books are in good order and your accounting is done right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, overall, like, I mean, I, I like to share my own failures quite often. I tell you what, man, I've just learned this the hard way. Like you really do. You're going to end up paying for it one way or the other and to get it right from the beginning. Um, it, it, it does feel heartbreaking when you have to stop everything you're doing to fix the books or get caught up with them, or you kind of feel like you don't know what you're talking about when they're not right. You know, you're trying to, uh, especially when it comes to startups and all and finding investors and stuff like that, that is the, the books are one thing that you just aren't going to get away with shooting from the hip on. And um, I mean, and, and the, you know, the amazing thing that school will teach you about accounting is it's right or wrong. It balances or it doesn't. So right. it's a pretty binary thing. So your, your books are either right or they're wrong. And there's not, there's not a, there's not a middle note in there. There's not like a, you know, cause if you say they're kind of right, they're still not right. So you know, overall, there really is nothing, in my opinion, more demoralizing and frustrating than having to stop what you're doing and go catch up on this kind of stuff. Learn from my lesson, people. Learn from my lesson. Anyway, Matt, thanks for joining me. For those of you listening, check out Cap Forge, check out Matt's books, and get your books in order. See you next time, man. All right. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.